Uh, boy, it's good to see everybody. Y'all are so beautiful. And um, yesterday, I'm in one of those situations again with the with the fire department. And you'd be surprised. Everything that goes on in like an inner city goes on in Minden. You, you probably don't under, realize that. But and uh, I don't want to say any more about the situation because it's private, of course. But uh, I, I, as I sat with this family yesterday, I began to tell them about our church. And I realized as I was telling them about what our church had to offer, because they were very interested. They were very grateful. I mean, sometimes I show up and they go, what are you doing here? You know, they don't say that, but that's the feeling I get. Uh, But it wasn't like that in this case. It was family that was glad I was there to pray with them. And uh, as I talked about what our church had to offer, it hit me. My church is a part of this. Everybody's a part of this. We're, we're in this. T- we're all a part of the story that God is writing in our community. Speaking of stories, it's really good to have uh, Cliff and Laurie Extract here. Where are you? Uh, oh, would you mind just? I, I know you don't want me to do this, but would you just stand up? I want people to turn around and stare at you for a second. That's enough. Stop sharing. So, well, we've been praying. Uh, We've been praying for, um, I just went blank, help me, Alexis, Alexis yes, <laughs> we've been praying for Alexis, and uh, uh, who had the blood clots, went to her heart and lungs, and you know, that's the young lady we've been praying for, and uh, they're here today, uh, you know, and she has been, uh, she's been moved to rehab in Spalding and Boston, and so just give the Lord a hand for that. And you've been praying, and, and you're there, there again, you're part of the story. Uh, one more thing before I get into the Word today, I just want to say thanks to, uh, to uh, uh, Fabricio and Daniel De Silva. Fabricio for playing the keyboard today, and Daniel for playing the, the drums, and uh, for filling in. So you probably, I just want you to know, you wonder who are those people up there. Well, that's who they are. And due to De Silva teaches in our school, so, or she's part of the staff, I'm not sure. I, I don't know whatever anybody does, but... <laughs> hey, let's get into the Word today. I'm excited about talking more about uh, God's stories. And um, as far as I know, this is the last, this is the last specific sermon I'm going to do on God's stories. But actually, this sermon series is not going to end. This sermon series is going to continue for the rest of my life, for the rest of my ministry life. So I want you, please, keep telling me God's stories. Keep going on the website and some of you doesn't work. I don't know why. The website doesn't work. You emailed them to me. So, okay. Uh, if you can do it on the website, that's a little easier to access, but that's fine if you email them to me. Keep telling me God's stories. Now, obviously, I didn't tell all of your God stories. Thank God there were too many. I couldn't fit them all in. So I picked the ones that went with themes that I felt God was laying on my heart. But we're gonna, I'm going to put all these together, and with your permission, I'm going to publish all of them so you can read everybody's gestures. I mean, there's some amazing stuff going on. I, I, I'll be honest, I had no idea. I did not realize that God was working at the level he's working in our lives. It's so encouraging. You know, the, the headlines uh, on the Internet and other news sources, the media, those aren't the headlines in heaven. I don't know if you know that. But that, that's what's occurred to me. 
There's a whole different set of headlines in heaven. And this is like reading God's headlines right. instead of Fox or CNN or, or whatever source you go to for news. This is God's, God's news. The news, this is what's making news in heaven. And so you need to take a break from that other stuff once in a while and see what God is doing. It's so exciting. So we're going to hear a few more today. And uh, we're going to talk about living a God-storied life. It's one thing to have a God story to tell. I think everybody does if they really think about it. It's another, though, to live in an intentional, God-connected life. I don't, think, I don't think Jason knew what I was going to preach on, but his remarks were perfect setup, and that song was a perfect setup. Uh, I mean, should that even surprise us anymore, that God is running the show? <laughs> that was a perfect setup for what I want to say today. Because I want to talk about, it's one thing to have a God story, it's another to live in an intentional God-connected life where you're positioning yourself to consistently be in this big redemptive story that God is narrating. I find this paragraph from a Dan Taylor talk that summarizes a God-storied life. And it's a long quote, but I'm going to read it to you, and it's going to be on the screen, for it's going to be projected for you. The single best way of conceiving of faith and of a faithful life is as a story in which you are a character. Your life task is to be a character in the greatest story ever told. It is what you were created for. If faith were primarily an idea, the intellect alone might be adequate for dealing with it. Since it is instead a life to be lived, we need story. Story, as does life, engages all of what we are, mind, emotions, spirit, body. Faith calls us to live in a certain way, not just to think in a certain way. That, that's profound. You should, you should underline that. It is no surprise, then, that the central record of faith in human history opens with an unmistakable story signature in the beginning. The Bible says in Psalms 145, verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare... Your mighty acts. Billy Graham said, the memory of what we are, not just our personalities, but our character and our faith, has the potential to influence others for Christ. Um, Leslie Leland uh, wrote a book called Your Story Matters that I've discovered recently. And that's what we, our website says, Your Story Matters. I, I didn't know there was a book by that title. In this one book, she says, the Bible are the two most interesting personalities in the world. In this one book are the two most interesting personalities in the world, God and yourself. The Bible is the story of God and man, a love story in which you and I must write our own ending, our unfinished autobiography of the creature and the creator. Boy, I like that. And of course, there's those famous... Uh, spiritual leaders, Gladys Knight and the Pips, who said and wrote and said and sang, big hit, if anybody should ever write my life story, for whatever reason there might be, you'd be there between each line of pain and glory. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. And I like the second verse says, oh, there may have been times when times were hard, but always somehow I made it through because for every moment that I've spent hurting, there was a moment that I've spent just loving you. 
Now I realize Gladys Knight was talking about a romantic um, love interest. But it could have just as well have been written about my relationship with Jesus Christ. The great apostle said it this way, Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with, all, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In those last few words are, contain the key to a God-storied life. When you tell my story, as many of you will outlast me for sure, when you tell my story, I want somehow God to be the hero of my story. I, I want you to say things like, let me tell you about the time Pastor Phil prayed and God did blank. I, I, want you, I want you to say at my memorial or celebration of life service, let me tell you about this man and his wife who made some risky decisions to stand against the trends of society with their kids. And now those kids and grandkids are serious followers of Christ. I want you to say, let me tell you about the time Pastor Phil was a positive part of one of my God stories. I want you to say things like, let me tell you ways that Pastor Phil brought God and goodness into my life. Amen. Hopefully you applaud at my celebration of life service. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, 30 minutes after the service you're going to be going, the most important thing is going to be, where's the potato salad? <laughs> <laughs> Why did the Apostle Paul decide to make Christ and God the center of his life? Was it the way to build the most impressive and secure financial portfolio in the first century? <laughs> Was it trendy to be godly? <laughs> Was it really cool to be godly? Was there a cultural payoff? Were there doors of opportunity that's open wide to you when people found out that you had a, were living for Christ? And doors that closed if you didn't. Was living a God story, was it the safest way to live? Was it the way to keep yourself from getting hurt? Here's something we know about the Apostle Paul. Even when he was misguided. Remember, Apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He got Christians thrown in jail. He, he treated Christians the way the Chinese are treating the Uyghurs. Seriously. And he, he, he actually wasn't a murderer. That wasn't, he wasn't a, a homicidal maniac. He wasn't a sociopath or a psychopath. He didn't just go around enjoying killing people. He didn't... He didn't Kill animals, small animals. You know, he, he wasn't a guy that you would, as, as long as you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't mind having him as your neighbor. Because he was a, he, he was, in fact, he was a great citizen of, of Israel. He was, he was a zealot for 
for his nation and for his religion. Here's something, so here's something we know about the Apostle Paul. Even when he was misguided, he wanted to live a life of maximum impact. He was not, he was not a middle-of-the-road guy. He wanted to live a life of maximum impact. In fact, John 16, 12, Jesus kind of, kind of forecast Apostle Paul when he said, the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. Paul was not a man who ever put his own comfort first. Paul was what in that day, was, like I said, was called a zealot. Listen to how he describes himself in Philippians 3, 5. Oh, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, no, of, I'm sorry, the wrong word there. Of the people of Israel, he's describing himself. The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to the zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law of blameless. Notice, notice a, that was a part of his positive resume. <laughs> a persecutor of the church. Among Paul's Jewish peers, his activism and violence against the church was a proud part of that resume, right? He was honored by Jewish nationalists as we honor a colonialist who dumped tea in the Boston Harbor. Thankfully, Christ transformed Paul's nature so that when he became a Christian, he replaced the use of violence with the gospel as a strategy for changing hearts and minds. He figured out the best way to change the world is to live a life that was filled with the evidence of the true God and his son Jesus. See, see, it's one thing for you and I to be concerned about leaving our children and the next generation uh, material assets or equip them with quality learning uh, and instructions on the basic of getting along with other people. Uh, Those goals are very laudable and okay. And but, but, but although they contain a measure of importance, they pale in comparison to the ultimate goal of leaving the next generation with what Paul would call the weight of glory. And I, and I will simply call it the priceless treasure of the divine to leave the next generation a, a story, stories of God, to leave the next generation a God-storied life. And why should we care, I want to ask you today, why should we care about the legacy of a God's story of life? I'm telling you why, because in a God's story of life, there are no losers. You don't lose. The next generation doesn't lose. Your friends don't lose. In almost any other endeavor of success, business success, athletic success, Intellectual success, they're winners and losers. But in a God story life, there are no losers. Everybody wins. A God story life, number one, is a consistent life of goodness and virtue. That's why we want, uh, one of the reasons we want a God story life. It is a consistent life of goodness and virtue. Someone said, success doesn't come with what you do occasionally, it comes with what you do consistently. Scripture says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. Um, 
You may be familiar with the name. It's uh, kind of uh, not talked about anymore, but uh, uh, certainly in my childhood, her name came up quite often in my home and not with fond affection. Her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare. Madeline Murray O'Hare was the woman, the famous atheist, who uh, her son William Murray uh, was a, a young person, an elementary school student in Baltimore, and uh, was uh, forced to participate with Christian prayers that were said in the schools in those days. This would be early 60s. And Madeline Murray O'Hare took the school district to court to have prayer, to make it illegal to pray uh, in the public school. And she took that all the way to the Supreme Court. And so in 1963, we had prayer removed from the public schools. And um, uh, she, she was called the most hated. In fact, Netflix, I believe, has a, has a, um, a documentary on her called The Most Hated Woman in America. Now, that really wasn't a moniker that Christians gave her. She actually gave that to herself because it was great PR. She loved to introduce herself. She would speak around the country, and she became a major celebrity and became quite wealthy going around the country, uh, being introduced as the most hated woman in America. Um, William Murray, here's what he said about his mother. Murray, but William Murray became a Christian, by the way, and is still a Christian, is doing missions work all over the world today, uh, working very much in Africa and... Uh, with the poor indigenous people in the countries of Africa. It is a great Christian. Here's what he said about his mother. He said, my mother was an evil person. Not for removing prayer from America's schools, no. She was just evil. She stole huge amounts of money. And I don't know why, I, did, I didn't mean to make a, a slide out of this. I, sometimes I highlight things and they made a slide out of it. So uh, I'm not... <laughs> It's not so important that I wanted you to have a slide on it. <laughs> I just wanted to get you know that. Uh, but here, there it is. You can read it for yourself. <laughs> she misused the, trust, misused the trust of people. She cheated children out of her parents' inheritance. She cheated on her taxes and even stole from her own organization. She once printed up phony stock certificates on her own printing press to try to take over another atheist publishing company. I could go on, but I won't. My mother simply believed, do what thou wilt shall be the only law. And um, so that's the legacy of Madeline Murray O'Hare. Uh, that, now, that's an extreme, by the way. And, and I, do not, I do not believe, I know that every atheist and every non-believer is not an evil person. You, you know non-believers who are very good people. So I'm, I'm not saying that everyone... But what, what I wanna, what, the reason I wanted to read that to you is uh, I want to explain to you and, and make sure you understand that uh, when you don't choose God, you're in a dangerous area. When you don't choose God and you don't choose to make Christ the center of your life, you're opening your life up to a vacuum that for some people will be filled by the demonic will be filled by another supernatural power that is evil and that is dark. And Madeline Murray's end was very ignominious. She was, she loved, uh, 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 um, she was a Marxist and a communist, 
and, and she was very attracted to criminals. So she would hire criminals to work in her organization. Because, you know, the, the Marxist idea is that if anybody's a criminal, it's not their fault. They're a criminal because society made them a criminal, because society pushed them to the bottom of the hierarchy and turned them into a criminal. And she was actually, so this criminal had murdered, he stole, he stole money from her organization, which, of course, she didn't like that. And when she challenged him, he abducted her and her daughter, her granddaughter and her son, took him to a hotel, helicoptered them for 30 days, and then took them out in the desert somewhere and dismembered them. So she didn't have a good end. The intentional decision to live a God-storied life is synonymous with the intention to live a holy life, in large part because people are going to walk in the tracks that you leave behind. A true God-storied life is the only way I know to make sure you leave healthy tracks behind for the next generation to walk in. Secondly, a God-storied life is a life of ultimate benefit to others. You can't live an intentional God-storied life and dislike people. You not only have to like people, you have to love people deeply to live a God-storied life. One of the primary ways that you will miss a God-storied life is to live a life that's not in the service of others. And one of the primary ways to live a God-storied life is to live a life that's in the, stories, in the service of others. People who have the most God-stories are the most who not only trust God to solve their own problems, but they're constantly trying, they're constantly trusting God to solve other people's problems. They have the most God stories. I love this little story about Paul Hammond, a TV network administrator out in San Diego, California. He said, my wife and I had been sending shoeboxes of presents for Operation Christmas Child for a few years. One year we had a packed a really nice box for a young lady, and as we finished packing, I looked at my wife and said, I would love to see this little boy's face when he opens this box. The following year, we were preparing to do another box and happened to pick up a publication for Operation Christmas Child. My wife was reading it when she called me over to look at something. There on the bottom of page three was a picture of a little boy hugging a teddy bear he had just received in his Christmas box. Lo and behold, on closer examination of the box in front of him, we saw all the unique items that we had wrapped. We had chosen the previous year, including the very recognizable bear. It was our box. That is a God story, my friend. And we have, I'm talking about loving other people. I'm talking about caring about other people. I'm talking about a God-storied life. It's a life that lives for the ultimate benefit of others. Um, we have someone, where's Ann Briggs? Ann Briggs, right there. Ann Briggs sent me a wonderful God story. And I want to read that to you right now. She said it was years ago, and I was in Westboro heading down 495 to get home and do my ironing and be ready for work that week. I heard the words, go back and go to Mary's house. She lived in Shrewsbury, a woman I had befriended. I kept going. Then I turned it again and heard, you have something she needs. That's what she heard in her spirit, in her, her heart. So I turned around and went to her house, still not certain it was God. When I arrived and came around the, from the driveway, she was on the porch and started crying and weeping and saying, Oh, thank God you came. I've been praying all day for God to send someone. She had tried to commit suicide the night before and was planning to go back that night and accomplish it. She had been a nurse, and one night in a storm, she'd gone, up, gone out to the fuse box and fell in such a way that her arm 
uh, was, was injured and never to be used again, which left her unable to work. She had a nice home. This is uh, Anne's words. She had a nice home with three foster children, which enabled her to stay in her home. Her ex-husband had married a younger woman around this time and then passed away. She also had an adult daughter that had a mental illness with multiple ongoing issues, which fell on her. After her ex-husband died, she started going to his grave. Getting in a deep depression, she would go there and cry, repeating, why did you leave me? She stayed in that kind of emotional turmoil until she became suicidal. She had gone to the Clinton Dam to commit suicide, but was unable with her bad arm and her weight to climb over the wall to her death. When I heard and saw that the devil had lured her back there many times with all her turmoil and depression to kill her, I got her out of it that day. She went on to be the Massachusetts foster mother of the year, two of three years. That's a God story, would you say? Now, Sherry brings me some of my favorite God stories from Compassion New England and her work there, so I've asked her to come and share. I, I, I don't know if you're going to share the one that I uh, talked about. She might, I told her, you have one, another one you want to share, that's fine. But uh, th- there's one in particular that I really like that's a great God story, and it's all about living for the ultimate good of others. I'm not leaving the building. I just have to go get a piece of paper that has another God story. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to talk as long as I want. <laughs> <laughs> I love this subject because the scripture that... Um, Phil just read, which if I knew how to bring it down, I would, I don't, I don't use computers, so I really don't know how that works, but where it talks about how God becomes a part of your everyday existence, how you really embody him, and so at You know, my whole life, and probably not just at Compassion New England, but I've watched my mom and dad believe in God's stories and so live their life and position themselves so that we got to be a part of God's stories. But when our church made the move to to position ourselves in the community that we were present for people's pain, for their joys, for their celebrations, And they didn't have to come to our building to participate in that. But that we would be more in their stream of life. You would be amazed at how many God stories happen every day. And so I'll tell you a couple of them. Uh, The first one, that Pastor Phil loves this story. This happened a long time ago. But I was down in our building Uh, that is currently TJ Collectibles. It was the old Blessing Barn, 146 South Main Street. And we had gotten a phone call from a social worker, and the social worker told us that they needed some clothing. They had gone to a home of uh, elderly people who were caring for a special needs son, and both of the parents had caught the flu and they had they were very very sick and so no one had been caring for this special needs adult male 
um, because they were both sick. And a lot of times we don't realize that, that, you know, mom and dad don't stay young when a special need kid is getting older. And so the, um, the authorities had made the decision to bring this kid into temporary foster care, and they were struggling to find a foster home that would take him. A lot of care involved. The social worker said, you know, we found a, a little placement, but they don't have any clothing or anything. Can we come? I said, sure, come. Get anything you need. We're going to do our best to help you guys. And so we went through, we collected all the things the social worker got there. And I started handing her all the things that we had found. Well, it had been a really um, busy week at the Blessing Barn. And so when it came to underwear, the only underwear that I could find were superhero underwear for adults, which was probably a joke. It was probably somebody's joke idea for their family member, which is why the Blessing Barn got it, but they were still in a package. And I said, I feel so bad, but this was the only underwear in the size that you had requested. And the social worker started to cry. And she said, when we went to this young man's home, there wasn't anything clean. We couldn't, laundry had not been done. It was a big mess. He'd been there probably for a week and a half without any help. It was a nightmare. She said, the only thing that we could pull from the house was his box of superheroes. And she said, his greatest love in life is superheroes. And she said, this is going to make his day. I want to tell you guys something. God cares about your underwear. If you're a special need adult, he cares. He cares so much that he positioned that to be the only pair of underwear, because I will assure you, I would never have picked up a package of six pair of superhero underwear to give someone who is an adult, but God cares. And then I want to tell you about this last thing. Pastor Phil's talking to you guys about positioning yourself to be a part of someone else's God story. And sometimes you have to position yourself in uncomfortable places. Sometimes those places are tents. 110 degree tent. <laughs> right, Jeff? It's hot down there, isn't it? Sometimes it's real cold down there. <laughs> so recently I was down in the tent and it was not Donations Day. And, you know, people, we, the folks that work with Compassion New England, they're pretty good about knowing what days are donation days, what days are not donation days. But I see this car pull up, and I wanted to go out. I could see in the back there was a lot of clothing. And so I was thinking, oh, I've got to stop them at the barn. We have to make appointments to donate clothing. Because 
you know, our building needs to have a certain amount of, of weight, and clothing weighs a lot, and we need to be careful with our fire load and all of that. So I was going to say, sir, I'm very sorry, but if you didn't make an appointment, which I'm sure you didn't because we don't take donations on a Thursday, um, we can't receive your clothes. So I headed out towards the car, and I could see a very distraught person getting out of the car. And the story I'm going to tell you is this is not the first time we've had this story told to us, but this particular day I was there, and I, and I was present for it. I walked towards the car, and this very sad face greeted me, and I said, rather than you can't bring your stuff, I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to say, my name is Sherry, what do you need today? As soon as I said that, this man started to sob, started to sob. And he began to tell me his story, that he was there because in the back of his car were his daughter's clothing. And his daughter had passed away from a blood clot. And he began to tell me how he was, he was just broken hearted. And he had no one to talk to about it. And he, he felt like he needed to comfort everybody. But he really was just so sad. I didn't radically change that man's situation because I, I don't have that power. But I know for a fact, if I was not in a hot tent, if I had not walked out, if I had not been Jesus in that tent that day, that he would not have experienced someone who could take his hand and say, your sadness matters to God. And God is near to the brokenhearted. I'm going to pray with you. That's why I like living my life in the middle. In the middle. I don't try to go corners. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. I like that. I like the way she put that. Positioning your life. And start positioning your life to be a blessing to other people. Start positioning your life. Start moving forward in life. Start looking around. Start noticing. Finally, a God-storied life is the unshakable proof of your significance. Maybe nothing is more important um, in, than that we keep track of our stories because it affirms whether God knows us and loves us and is concerned about us. Because I think, I think the most... Um, I think the thing that's hardest in the world, maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I think the hardest, certainly one of the hardest things in this world is to feel significant. Is to feel that I matter, that you matter. Because in, in, in the world, we define significance uh, as uh, getting to the top of the heap. 
getting to the top of the whatever it is. What, no matter what it is. If it's athletic competition, the significant people are the winners. The, the significant people are the ones who hold political office. The significant people are the ones who are the best at what they do, right? Um, I, you know, uh, so, hierarchies almost always stack up based on competence, or at least perceived competence. You know, social engineers are always trying to, to, to fix this situation, but they ultimately do more harm than good. You just can't organize humans in a way that equally distributes self-value and worth. It's a noble aspiration to try to shape the world that assures equality of outcome, but you dare not hire a plumber or a carpenter or an electrician based on their need for self-esteem. Right? So there's no way, there's no way in this life we will all be able to have in the eyes of humans, in the eyes of the judges of, of the world, there's no way we're all going to have equal significance. You just, there's just not enough room at the top of anything for everybody to be there. But there's a way. And I believe there's only one way that every one of you, every one of us in this room, including myself, there's only one way that every one of us can be incredibly significant, incredibly important. And that is not to try to live a life that impresses everyone, but to start living a life that matters to someone. I said not to try to live a life that impresses everyone, but to start living a life that matters to someone. Don't despair. See, God has no second stringers. God has no bench warmers, and God has no bullpen. Even when we lose life's lottery, and we all do in some way, God has a plan for success with you and your very, very significant life with Him at the center of it. This is not just about reverse psychology or some sappy hallmark sentimentality I'm talking about today. When life sends you to the back of the line, which it almost always will for some of us at some point in our life, it's so important to press on and rediscover the purpose of God in your life. Amen. If you will rediscover the purpose of God in your life, you will find that you're incredibly significant and you're incredibly important, like the little story that Ann Briggs told a while ago. Because she, went, she did what God told her to do that day, it didn't make headlines in the Boston Globe, it didn't make headlines on CNN or Fox News, but it made headlines in heaven, as I said in the beginning of the sermon. And it's like the, it's like the story of the starfish. You all know the story, if you heard that illustration, every preacher used about the starfish. The guy's throwing starfish in the ocean, and the guy says, what are you doing throwing starfish? Well, I'm saving them. But how, why does it matter that hundreds of thousands and millions of starfish, and he's holding the starfish, why does it matter that you're saving a few starfish? And he said to the man, well, it matters to this one. And until you and I begin to believe that it matters that we matter to someone and we don't get hung up because what ultimately happens to us is we get actually more interested in power than we do in purpose. Yes. We actually get more interested in, in, in having our ego fed than we actually get in being a life-changing person who really matters in this world. 
I can't, one of the reasons I can't wait to get to heaven because we're going to find out who truly mattered. Um, I want to read one more guide story. And it fits with this idea of when we lose life's lottery, but God lets us know that we still are a starter on his team. And this is, um, this is uh, Kathleen Hildebrand sent me this. Um, it's called Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to ask you guys, go ahead and put that image up there, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then I'll tell you what this image means. Just over 12 years ago, back when we were living on the West Coast in Washington State, we as a family went through a very scary and uncertain time. Not to get into too many details, but we were up against some pretty tough times financially. Circumstances were beyond our control due to a non-compete Jeremy had to adhere to for one year. The attorney told us that even though it could be fought and won because the terms were far too stringent, it would be costly and would take up a year or so to go before the courts, at which time the non-compete would have been served out. There was much more to this part of the story, but the gist of it is that our hands were tied. It came to the end of the year, and we were now facing losing our home, a home we had worked so very hard for, a home that had become a safe haven and a place of peace and stability for our daughter, Valene. Sitting right over here. Our biggest concern was that Valene would feel unsettled if we were to lose everything. Those who know our story understand well why this was a concern to us. We fought as hard as we could, but it came to the point where we could not stay any longer. We put our house on the market as a short sale. This was a scary thing because we now had the daunting task of trying to figure out who would take a renter whose credit just went downhill. The house showings came quickly and an offer was placed and approved by the bank just as quickly. There wasn't much on the market for rentals and especially not ones that had a quiet office space for Jeremy to run his business. We found one in our budget that might work, yes, just one in the entire country. It was located in a gated community within walking distance to the ocean and almost seemed too good to be true. We were told by the listing realtor that the owner was a staunch businessman, quite the stickler. He would do a credit check and want first last month in security, which at that point we did not have. We forged forward hoping we could negotiate something with him. Backed by the prayers of my women's Bible study group, our family and friends, we went to see the home. It was lovely and perfect for us, almost too good to be true. With a separate office for Jeremy and a gorgeous park-like backyard with a pond, fountain, and even a swing set just past the property line. When we were done touring the property, he brought us back outside to continue the discussion about the terms and if we would be able to even move forward in the process. It was then that the owner, John, said, I don't usually do this, but for some reason... I trust you guys will be good tenants and take great care of the home. He then waived the security deposit and took Jeremy at a handshake in the driveway. Needless to say, we were overwhelmed with gratitude. And then it was then that we looked at the ground as I was driving inconspicuously, trying inconspicuously, inconspicuously, easy for you to say, hide my tears. And I saw these words etched along the side of the driveway. Jesus Christ is Lord. It was not the landlord who had etched this at the concrete as he had purchased the property many years and wouldn't have done such a thing. We assumed it must have been the original owner. Regardless, it didn't matter because God knew we would need to see that all those years later. God knew 
would be standing right here in that spot at that very time. Right there in that spot at that very time. The timing of everything was perfect, only as God can do. Jeremy had started back to work in his new partnership with his dad and payments started coming in right after we sold the house. We could have paid off what we were overdue on and actually kept our house if the funds had come in just days sooner. However, if, he hadn't, if we hadn't had to sell our home when we did, I wouldn't have been a part of the, I believe it's pronounced Simamu Ladies Bible Study Group, along with family and friends, were such a blessing during this time, a time of respite, peace, and healing for our family. Of course, we didn't quite understand why we went through what we did, but we knew God had us. He doesn't always let us know why of his plans. However, as the years have passed, we've been reminded of these things more and more, especially as they relate to our worries over Belene. Belene learned a valuable lesson, one of which we have tried to instill in her. In fact, Belene, you told me this story when we were doing our premarital counseling, so I know this story has helped shape your life. He is our provider. We worked hard and do our part, and it's he who comes through time after time. If we'd been tied to our home when the opportunity arose to move back to Massachusetts eight and a half years later, we wouldn't have been able to pursue it. And my heart ached to be closer to my family, especially during Valine's school years, because we were able to move when we did. Valine was, was able to grow up with her cousin, Quinn, who is more like her sister, and we were able to do life with Damon and Teresa to raise our daughters together, and now we have so many amazing memories together. We've also made wonderful friends, my amazing PT ladies, etc. But this is about Valene. If we had moved back to Massachusetts, Valene wouldn't have had all the amazing opportunities, mentors, and friendships she loves, and she, and she flourished at Bethany Christian Academy. If we had moved to Massachusetts, Valene wouldn't have met Joshua. I want you guys to stand. I want you to see. I want everybody to see Joshua. If you don't think God answers prayer. <laughs> our new husband, you may be seated, and our son-in-law whom we love dearly. Although the journey was scary at times, it was very difficult leaving our family and friends, and we know this is where we as a family needed to be. God truly knows the plans he has for us and our children. He's gone before and made a way. Lately, I've been reminded again to trust him, the author and finish of our, uh, finisher of our faith. Hey, that's a good God story. So, the last thing I would want to do is dump a big load of shame on you because you might feel that you've led a rather secular, materialistic life. We'll join the average American. We've read pretty secular, materialistic lives. And... Um, Sometimes our, our haste to make sure you know that salvation is a free gift has sometimes discouraged, and believe in some folks, the idea of the need to live an intentional life. But, but don't worry. Don't worry. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to become who God intended for you to be. Never. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6-2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's never too late to become what God intended for you. In fact, if you fully commit your life to Christ today, the Holy Spirit will uncover and reveal the God stories that you don't even know happened, that you ignored as mere coincidences in your life. As Paul said to the uncommitted in Athens, Greece. 
God is not far from any of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. God is not only good, He is present. God is in your life. He's in all the details of your life. I pray for you today that God will open your eyes to see His presence, His prevalence, His ability. Yes, life will be hard. There will be disappointments and there will be pain. We haven't, we're not home yet. But God is in your journey. God is struggling with you. And he's fighting the battle with you. Let's bow our heads. I'm not going to call you forward as I did last week. We've gone a little longer today. So I'm, I'm just going to let you stay right there in your seat. But nevertheless, a commitment to Christ works, actually works there too. So I believe there's someone in the sound of my voice, maybe more than one, who needs to cross that line of faith and become a Christ-centered person today. There's, there are those here, I'm sure, in the sound of my voice that have believed in Christ and believe He's the, the Son of God and rose from the dead and covet the, the gift of salvation. But your life, you know, if you know your life has not been dedicated to the purpose of God or making Jesus famous. I'm not questioning your salvation today. But I'm questioning and I'm asking you to consider whether you're, you're really having the best life that you could have. That you're having the miraculous, supernatural life that you could have. Whether you're making a difference in the lives of others as much as you could. No point in living in regrets. No point in worrying about the past. Yesterday's gone. And we all, we all would like to have a do-over. But we don't get that. But it does, it's okay. It's okay. God knew exactly the path you were going to take, I believe. I believe he knew the path you were going to take. And he's got a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and a plan D. He's always got a plan. So... If you're sitting out there today and you know your life has not been a part of God's plan, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And that prayer will be, God, put me in the center of your will for my life. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for my friends here, to, here today. Some need to move closer to the center of your universe. Some move in, need to move into your story for their lives. And some need to move in an awareness of your story for their lives. And there's somebody here today who needs to move to that step of faith, of making Jesus Christ their Savior and Lord. And I pray for them today, that they would say yes. That's all they have to do, is say yes. And then heaven begins to say yes. We pray for it, we believe for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And I hope you have a wonderful summer day. Uh, if you got kids in Children's Church, then you go first. <laughs> God bless.